comes from the word of the Lord from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed his parents when he was called to go to a place he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This is the word of the Lord. No, I think Thanks I, be to God. Oh, sorry. I think I just read some of that last night. Yeah. The second verses. Yeah. It's a great passage. It's a great passage. What is that from? Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, 1 to yeah, 16. I think I did. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Mm-hmm. The text for our gospel proclamation is the epistle to the Hebrews that I just finished reading you and serves as the basis of our theme for this night Sunday after Pentecost. Faith in things hoped for and not yet seen. This week, we move from the church in Colossae to the letter to the Hebrews. But this is a word of exhortation, a sermon, if you will. We learn from chapter 13, verse 22, with a short letter attached. We learn from 13, verses 20 to 25. Now, for those of us that grew up in the Lutheran church, we recognized a powerful opening to this sermon epistle that we used in worship, which said, Long ago and in various ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And if you remember, say it with me, but now in these last days, he has spoken to us 
by his son. Yes, we may not know the author of Hebrews, but we know Hebrews. Being as much a part of our spiritual DNA as the Lord's Prayer and creeds, we confess every Sunday. Hebrews is special to me because this is the very book our emeritus pastor, Pastor Gherkin, would quote from when he encouraged me in my duties as your shepherd, saying, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Reminding me weekly of my grave responsibility to you and your faithful adherence to me. But I want to start with one important verse today that truly sets the tone for our epistle lesson that comes from chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Are you paying attention these days? Are you overwhelmed at the incredible number of ungodly things that are assaulting our minds in social media, the news, entertainment, and political discourse? I gotta admit to y'all, I am. We just started to watch just a few new TV shows on Monday night, and it took us three tries on three different programs before we could find something that did not violate our reasonable sensibilities. Flat out horrible reality on the internet, brazen and accurate re recasting of history, and just plain gross immorality, all portrayed as the norm we should simply accept. Are you paying attention yet? Well, if you are as overwhelmed as I am about it all, today's sermon, in a sermon, is for you. And whoever wrote it was truly inspired by the Holy Spirit to comfort us in these last days when he has truly spoken to us by his Son. Last week, we learned in Colossians that God the Father gave us Christ who lives in us, gives us the faith we need. And now we transition today with God assuring us of things hoped for, giving us certainty of things not yet seen. I love this encouragement that I use with friends that are in much travail, reminding them that I read the end of the Bible and they can rest assured we win this monumental battle against the evil forces of this world, bent on our utter destruction at every turn. And we can rest assured that what we have seen informs what we cannot see. What we have seen is this incredible cloud of witnesses that have gone before us and are in our lesson today. Real, historical figures that really did what the Bible says they did. These men and women living out the faith of God who motivated them towards the miraculous and amazing things they accomplished in Scripture for our benefit to this day. And what is even more amazing is so many of these epic figures in Scripture were people just like you and me. Not supermen with superpower, but flawed, real, concrete human beings that struggled in the world just like we do today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 29 says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world 
even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Besides these noted figures in today's lesson, there are countless examples all over Scripture of classic failures that still effectively glorified God and are celebrated to this day. Abram let his wife be taken by an Egyptian prince, fearing for his life, lying that she was just his sister. Well, God set the record straight by bringing a plague upon the prince's household, who gave her back immediately when he realized Abram's lies. There's your father of a nation for you. Jacob was a birthright thief and scoundrel to his otherwise faithful brother. And God still used him as the very namesake Israel for the people of God in perpetuity. Moses was a murderer and a terrible at public speaking, needing Aaron the priest to help him. And God used him to free the Israelite Hebrews from captivity in Egypt. Samson was a big dunderhead that couldn't keep his anger and passions under control. But God still used him to destroy the false temple of Dagon. And King David, a man after God's heart? Really? A liar? A philanderer? A murderer with too much blood on his hands to build the temple of God? And yet to this day, he's still the most celebrated king in Israel's history with his star as the very symbol of the modern day Israeli flag. These are not isolated examples. The scriptures are full of God's people that were not wise by God's standard. Saul, later Paul, Peter, James and John, the sons of thunder, and they all still effectively glorified God with the miraculous achievements he did through them. This still happens in the church today. I've seen so much incompetence and lack of planning and fly-by-the-seat-of-their-pants pastors in my career that it makes my head spin. And yes, for those of you thinking right now, frequently, I have been one of them. But God worked through them too. I had two bishops when I was on vicarage over 24 years ago. One was Ron, almost a father-like figure to me. Not that I needed one. I have a fine father emotionally and spiritually. But for minister mentoring, I still give him credit for so many things I know how to do right. Then there was my other bishop. Marcy and I referred to him as Wild Wally. <laughs> that was the bishop I most learned what not to do as a pastor. What was mind-boggling about his ministry is how clearly God worked in and amongst the people there despite the crazy things he would do. No administrative skill, poor planning, bad conflict management, and letting his emotions get the best of him. He was a walking disaster nearly everywhere he went. But no one could deny all the baptisms, the thriving church and school ministry, and pure outreach to a war-torn community in the inner city of Memphis. I cannot even begin to tell you how much I learned about being a pastor in the devastation of this gang-riddled inner city, living there and helping with every mistake he made. It was like having two vicarages in one for all the things I got to experience and learn how to do, because Wally let me loose to try anything. And I couldn't be more grateful to that amazing pastor too. 
Because in the storm of the chaos of that ministry, I could clearly see Christ's peace holding it all together. You see, all those people in the Bible, all those pastors of incompetence were driven, guided, and even moved by Christ's Holy Spirit where they could never have gone on their own. 1 Corinthians 1.30 continues. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And boasting in this case is a funny thing for sure. Boasting in the one who was born in a cave in a feeding trough. Boasting in a lonely carpenter from Nazareth. Boasting in a wandering rabbi living the vagabond lifestyle with men that were possibly shepherds and farmers and known to be fishermen and tax collectors as his devoted disciples. All of that boasting leads to the moment when you truly believe and understand what your true inheritance is. And knowing how it is tied to one of the most humiliating and painful events that any man ever experienced. That boasting is in Christ's humiliation, suffering, flogging, crucifixion, and ultimately death that makes you partakers of the riches of eternal life that believes he died for your sins. And his resurrection from the dead is that eternal redemption story that means our redemption from death. When God calls us home, that is God at work, that is the undeniable glory he works in us, given the faith in things hoped for and not yet seen. Amen. Now may that peace that surpasses all understanding guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus always. Amen.